This archived broadcast of Janet Mefford Today is brought to you by Affirm Films' Show Me the Father. The creators of War Room and Courageous, the Kendrick Brothers, explore fatherhood through five true stories. Show Me the Father, rated PG. Parental guidance suggested in theaters September 10th. This is Janet Mefford Today. Our confidence is in Christ alone. Are we going to stand with God come what may? If the Word of God says it, I believe it! And that's the way it is. And now, here is Janet Mefford. Welcome, everybody. Is there a biblical theology of parenting? It's really an important question in an age when a lot of us just want three easy steps to raising a compliant, brilliant, obedient, and biblically faithful child. There is not a three-step approach. I think that goes without saying. But there is a scriptural approach to discipling your children, and we're going to get into that today with Israel Wayne. He's an author and conference speaker who has a passion for defending the Christian faith and promoting a biblical worldview. He is the founder of Family Renewal and the author of a number of great books, including the one we'll be talking about today called Raising Them Up. Israel, wonderful to welcome you back. How are you? Oh, thank you, Janet. It's great to be back on your show. Thank you. You make some great observations in this book, one of which is the fact that a lot of Christian parents do come up to you and they just want the quick fix, right? Give me the three steps. Give me the two pieces of advice where I can fix my kid and I won't have any more problems. Why would you say that's ill-advised as a concept from a biblical perspective? Well, I think from a biblical perspective, but also what I've observed as a father of 11 children myself, is that quite often when we see behavioral issues in our children, uh, it is often because we need to adjust something, not so much in our child, but in ourselves as parents. Hmm. And when you go to the scripture and you look at the discipleship passages where it talks about us working with our children, it almost always precedes those passages by telling us we need to work on ourselves first. Deuteronomy 6 is a great example of that. You know, the passage we think of as one of the most famous uh, train-your-children passages in the Bible, you know, where it tells us to teach our children as we, uh, when we rise up, when we lie down, when we sit in our house and walk by the way. But the beginning of that passage says, this law which I give you this day shall be on your heart. And sometimes I think we skip over that, and we just think, well, we just want to train our children and teach them the right concepts. But really, parenting is a lot about modeling and teaching by example more than just words. Well, that's an interesting thing. I think you're right on the money about it. But what would you? What would be some examples of how parents need to adjust themselves in order to parent better, rather than just solely focusing on their children? Well, I mean, we could get off on a rabbit trail with this particular topic, but I think it's one that's very timely and relevant. We just saw some new statistics come out about the social media and digital media use of adults. Mm. And, of course, we always think about how much children are engaged in screen time. Uh, And when they ask parents, uh, are you concerned about the amount of time that your children spend on screens, they overwhelmingly said, yes, we're very concerned about the amount of time that our children are spending on digital devices. But these same studies show that parents are spending about seven and a half hours a day in digital online or so, you know, uh, digital media. And so, you know, seven and a half hours a day, if our children see us engaging in that, it's kind of hard to tell them, hey, you guys need to get off your phones. 
when we're engaging in that just as much as they are. Yeah, that's right. Of course, we're watching very important content on YouTube, whereas our kids oh, are watching dumb things, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, like cats and yeah. you know, those kinds of <laughs> Right. <laughs> it's, it's, you know, but I think yeah. it's an example of, of how sometimes we're very aware uh, of the problems with our own children, but we don't see the problems with ourselves. And another good example of that is how we sometimes try to uh, jump in when we see a child who is being angry with his sibling, and we tell them in a very angry tone of voice, you know, don't show it's your brother, that kind of thing. And so where are our children seeing that? Where are they uh, watching that being modeled? Well, from us. And so my book, uh, Raising Them Up, really focuses on us changing our mindset and turning our attention to a more biblical uh, approach is really the best thing that we can do for our children. Yeah, excellent. That's excellent. When you're talking about modern parenting, obviously there have been issues with parents since, you know, Adam and Eve. But when we're talking about modern parenting, you discuss in the book how you believe parenting started to go wrong after 1865. And I thought that was an interesting date to pick when you're talking about the breakdown of family culture. What was it about that time period that sticks out for you when you're looking at how we got where we are now? Well, you know, when you look at the end of the American Civil War, there was this huge fatherless issue that was kind of unprecedented, at least in terms of American history. And so you have hundreds of thousands of men who died during the war And then all of a sudden you have these moms who are trying to raise their children. And most of them came from these rural agrarian farming situations. And at the same time after the war, there was this industrial revolution. Moms began to work in the factories. Government schooling started about that time. The first compulsory attendance government schools began. And so parents sent their children then away to the schools mom goes away to the factory. Uh, You know, there's just this shift that took place away from rural communities where you're supported by extended family. Now you're living in a place where you don't know anyone. You're not as connected. There's just a lot of things that began to shift at that time that I think led us to less of a family-centered culture uh, and to more of a consumer-driven type of, uh, of a culture overall. Yeah. Well, that's really a problem. And when you mention the the problem with phones, for example, you've got a whole section on techno parenting and all the problems that the digital age have ushered in for us. But before that, we had lots of problems, too. Just the influence of pop culture, the influence of the women's liberation movement, the whole problem of government education. I mean, a lot of Christian parents today feel like, boy, everything's coming at me from every side. And especially it feels like everything's coming at my children children full force, and I'm a little bit helpless to deal with it. What do you say to those particular parents about remembering that parenting really is about discipleship? Well, I think in many ways, culturally, a lot of things are really coming to fruition now. You know, we have many seeds that started growing, you know, like, you know, not even, you know, not even 1865, but 1965, right? I think that was yeah. almost kind of a big turning point, too, culturally, in America, you know, when you, you have so many things that uh, took place societally, this big shift, and many of those things now are really coming into the fullness right now. It's putting a lot of pressure on families. And so it's not that it's ever been easy to be a parent, but more than ever, we have to be intentional about biblical parenting because we're really not getting teaching on what is a biblical theology of the family or biblical theology of parenting. We're not getting that 
from our society or from our culture in general, uh, for sure, we're really not getting trained well uh, on family and parenting issues. And so people don't know where to turn, and they tend to turn to just pop psychology. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, they're getting their cues about how to be a parent from, you know, the view or whatever. Oh, no. <laughs> to the word of God. And, and it's just it's not bringing about the right kind of results. Well, that's a really good point. When you mentioned the fact that many people don't feel like they're getting a lot of help from their churches, I, I hear it not so much as people being angry at churches for not doing what they need to do, but almost like churches might be flummoxed about what to teach. Do you find that to be the case that really there's not enough knowledge or not enough thought given to this whole biblical theology of the family and parenting in local churches? Well, it's an interesting issue. I talked to a guy who had graduated from a very prestigious Christian seminary, and after he graduated, I asked him what he thought about the seminary and the academic education that he got there. And he said, it was interesting because I, I learned a lot of theology at this seminary, and he graduated toward the top of his class and all that. But he said, biblically, there is a requirement for church elders that their family be in order. And he said it was interesting that I went the whole way through seminary, was hired onto a church, and no one ever asked about my family or even met my family until after I was hired as a senior pastor at a church. Goodness. And he said there's nothing in the Bible that requires a seminary degree for a church leader, but your family is mentioned as a requirement, and it never came up in seminary, never came up in the interview process with the church. And he just said, I just think something's wrong with that. So I think these pastors are really not getting trained on this issue as well. So they also are kind of flummoxed, as you said, as to how to teach on this issue. That, you know, that is an excellent point. And I I think that's something well worth talking about a little further. Israel Wayne is with us talking about his book, Raising Them Up. We'll come right back on Janet Meffer today. From Affirm Films comes the Kendrick Brothers' Show Me the Father. The creators of War Room and Courageous take moviegoers on a cinematic journey that invites you to think differently about your earthly father and how you relate to God through five true stories. I'm stunned. He's real. He's really out there. This is really him. This is really him. Show Me the Father. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. In theater September 10th. More information is available at showmethefathermovie.com. Hi, this is Kirk Cameron, and I am honored to be partnering with the Ministry of Preborn to help moms choose life. Actor Kirk Cameron supports Preborn. My four oldest children were adopted. That is because of caring and compassionate people who help those young mothers choose life. My wife is an adopted child, and her birth mother chose life for her. If it weren't for those caring individuals that help those young moms value the sacredness of life, I wouldn't have my wife, I wouldn't have my four adopted children, and the two natural-born children that we have wouldn't exist either. My whole family is here because of people that are involved with ministries like Preborn. 
Help moms choose life with preborn. Your gift of $28 provides an abortion-minded mother a potentially life-saving ultrasound. $140 could save five babies. You can give now at 855-601-BABY. That's 855-601-2229 or visit preborn.com. If you're looking for adventure, serving as a volunteer on the Mercy Ship is an adventure like no other. And you'll be serving on the largest non-governmental hospital ship in the world, providing free care to some of the world's poorest people. Whether it's performing a surgery, cleaning the deck, or transporting a patient to a recovery center, every day you'll be making a difference in the lives of struggling people. Begin your adventure today. Connect with us at mercyships.org. It's an adventure of a lifetime. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. Boy, it's so important to remember Deuteronomy 6 and so many other passages that really drive home this point that parents have an incredible duty, responsibility, and privilege in raising our children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. But it's easier said than done for a lot of us. We'd like a quick fix sometimes. But what we have to come back to is a biblical theology of parenting and the family. And Israel Wayne is with us, who is the founder of Family Renewal and author of Raising Them Up, which we are discussing. When we're talking about parenting, Israel, which you do such a good job at, you talk about shifting from control to influence. That's part of what you discuss in the book, The Approach for Parents, where you start out when a child is small, clearly having to control absolutely everything. And then over time, you let go a little bit more, but you still want to influence. A lot of parents struggle with where that line is. Where is the line between you will go to church, you will go to Sunday school, you will go to Bible study, we're, you know, as a family, we're doing this as they get older. They get their own mind, but you want them to still walk with the Lord, but you understand you can't make them do things as much as you did when they were tiny. These sorts of issues come up with Christian parents. How do you navigate through those sorts of things? Well, in some ways, I'm still learning how to navigate. Uh, We have (laughs) six daughters and five sons, and our oldest is 21, and our youngest is five months. So we have this whole gamut, right? I have four teenagers living in my house right now. So in some ways, I'm still learning how to navigate that. But what I see is, you know, when you have a newborn baby that's living in your house, uh, you really make all the decisions for them. They don't choose when they eat, when they change their diaper, they can't move by themselves. Like, you're doing everything for that child. But then when you have a 21-year-old, that young person is no longer under your control, but you hope to be able to gain influence in their life. What I see, though, is I see some parents who are trying to raise their two-year-olds with influence by trying to be their buddy, you know, oh, by trying no. to appeal to them on the basis of logic and, and that kind of thing. And then their 16-year-old, they're trying to rule with control, and they get it backwards. Yeah. They flip it. And yeah. so what I've found is that if you establish authority when the child is young, not in a mean dictatorial way, but simply children need to uh, understand that they are expected to obey their parents. It's, it's funny how culturally some parents recoil at that thought, that yeah. my child's supposed to obey me. But when you establish that authority relationship young, then you don't have to play that card as much when they get older uh, because they understand the relationship. And so uh, you transition from control to influence by purchasing influence. And people say, well, how do you do that? Well, there's two primary factors or forces in buying influence in relationships. And the first one is time. That's the most important one. The more time you spend with your child, the more influence you're able to purchase. And the other is affirmation. 
building them up, encouraging them, showing them that you are for them and that the decisions you're making are not necessarily for your benefit as a parent, but for their ultimate good, even though it may not feel like it in the time, even if you're restricting them and having to say no about something, when they know you're doing this for my ultimate good, they're going to buy into the fact that my mom or my dad is for me. And then when you've done that, you put in the time and you've put in the affirmation, you have that influence capital. You know, if you think of it like kind of like a relationship bank, if you will, <laughs> to be able to spend when they get older, because when they're 18 years old, again, you know, you, you have far less control, but you're hoping that you have that influence. Those are really good pieces of advice. When you talk about the two-year-old is buddy, I chortled because I have four children and I know how well that doesn't work. You can't do that with a two-year-old. <laughs> but I often run into people on airplanes who subscribe to that theory. My two-year-old's my buddy, which is why he's bouncing uncontrollably in his seat. And I'm going, hey, buddy, you want to sit down? And buddy doesn't want to sit down. It never works. And it harms everybody else along the way. You, though, talk in your book about how you taught your children to sit still and be quiet. How did you manage that? What did you do? Well, one thing that we do is we have a family Bible time every day, and it's usually about 30 minutes, and we sit down together, we open the Word of God, we read it, we discuss it, we pray, we sing a song or two, and we do this from the time our children are in the womb. And so they come out of the womb, and they learn how to sit and be part of the family, and by by doing that, our children, by the time they're three years old, they're able to sit through a regular church service without fussing, without squirming, without being disruptive. Uh, it's, it's just common for them. They don't think anything about it. And people are often surprised because we'll have our children sit with us during the church service and listen to an adult sermon, that kind of thing, from the pastor. And people say, how do you get your children to sit there and be quiet for an hour, an hour and a half during the service? Well, it's because we basically have time every day and we teach them from the time that they're young how to sit and listen to the Word of God. And one quick thing there is I think that so many times our kids are so jacked up with video games, uh, with action movies, and so forth, that they just have this boredom factor. Yep. And so what we try to do is we try to dial back a lot of that and not introduce them to so much high-tech media uh, and teach them how to be content uh, with just sitting together as a family, reading a book, uh, listening to uh, an audio book, uh, a story, something like that. And we just find that it calms down the child. Plenty of times that they play and are active and run outside and get out and all that. So it's not like we do this all day, every day. Right. Uh, but there are times where children need to learn how to sit and be appropriate. And we discuss how to do that in the Raising Them Up book. Well, that's really good because you think about it, and I know in our case, we all sat still in church because our parents trained us how to sit still in church. It can be done. It's just, again, it's going back to your original premise, which is a lot of times, if you're not getting out of your kids what you want to get out of them, perhaps you should look in the mirror, that there is something you can do as a parent that can move them in the right direction. Now, you had mentioned having Bible time with your children, and this is so critical, but you also talk about apologetics beginning at home. What sorts of, I don't want to say methodologies, but what sorts of approaches have you taken? You've got, as you mentioned, a family with a very wide range of ages, and I'm sure it's challenging at times to try to do things for different age groups. But what what are some basic things that parents can do to start them on the road to apologetics and defending the faith? This is something that we really need when we look at the statistics on the lack of a biblical worldview among the younger generations. Yeah, the Gen 2 survey shows that, that children are about 122% more likely to embrace the Christian faith 
So about 98% more likely to have beliefs similar to their parents if they've had a strategic biblical worldview and apologetics training. And so we use that using formal resources. Uh, right now we're using a curriculum from master books called Apologetics in Action. And it has some books like How Do I Know the Bible is True from Ken Ham, and another one, Demolishing uh, Supposed Bible Contradictions yes. by Ken Ham and Bodie Hodge. Yeah. And so we use those like a formal curriculum with the teenagers. I'm teaching that class at home. We homeschool our children, and, and so I'm teaching that class this year. Uh, but then just having conversations that count. And, and even using situations like, uh, you know, my, my 12-year-old wanted to watch Star Wars, and it gave me a great opportunity to explain the Buddhist worldview that George Lucas is promoting through the Star Wars movies and to be able to have conversations and say, this is not a religiously neutral film. Yes. Uh, George Lucas's worldview is all based on this Eastern pantheistic uh, Buddhist mindset, and, and here is how that gets ex- uh, illustrated throughout the movie. You know, and that what that brings up is when the Bible talks about, you know, discussing things with your children as you're walking and as you're sitting and all the rest. That's a way you can do it, that everyday circumstances in your life, you can find an apologetics angle, I think, and an awful lot of things that come up during the day. Increasingly, too, our children are being exposed to the whole LGBTQIA plus movement, and they're trying to figure out how to navigate that. Because you can't, you know, we homeschool, but we don't shelter our children in an inordinate way. And so you just bump into these things in culture, and so it gives us an opportunity to talk about what is the standard for everything. You know, what's the standard for sexuality? What's the standard for morals and ethics? And to bring them back to the scripture. I just think that what happens is most parents don't understand it's their job to do that. They expect the youth group to do it. They expect the Sunday school teacher to do it. They expect the church or, or you know, they just kind of leave everyone and every, you know, everything else to raise their children. Pop culture, movies, video games, whatever. The neighbor kids. And parents have not really taken serious that it is our job to disciple our children. And just quickly, the only two people groups in the Bible that are ever commanded by God to teach children are, of course, mothers and fathers. But then in a secondary role, a supplementary role, grandparents. We see that in Deuteronomy 4, Deuteronomy 10, where you're told to teach your children and your children's children. So I think grandparents are also a very neglected source of wisdom when it comes to helping the next generation. Absolutely. You know, when you mentioned the LGBTQRSTI, you know, it just keeps going on that acronym uh, and the necessity of talking about that. I couldn't agree with you more. And one of my frustrations is when you have some of these evil things in the culture, especially for older kids, I find sometimes in churches or in youth groups or in programs, discipleship programs, they don't want to talk about it because they say, oh, you know, it's so awkward. And I'm thinking, but if you don't talk about it, they're going to get the world's perspective on it. And that is completely evil. If they're going to go down the road that we've gone down in our country on homosexuality and the Gnostic view of male and female, how are they going to stay Christians? I mean, it's you have to instruct your children on even these hard things that come up. It would seem to prepare them to live in that world. Well, and I saw a website the other day that was a whole directory, nationwide directory of churches that are affirming yep. of those kinds of anti-scriptural um, activities. Yep. And so I think increasingly we have to even ask, is this being promoted and condoned and sanctioned within our own churches, even the evangelical churches? Yep. And so it just calls for constant vigilance on the part of parents 
they have to take responsibility. They can't just assume that the church is going to do it for them, because in many cases, the churches, unfortunately, are trying to capitulate to the world as opposed to lovingly confront the world. Amen. And that's why I'm so happy that you mentioned how important it is for parents to even look into the Sunday school curriculum that your kids are getting. You might go to a great church and you might trust the Sunday school teacher, but if you don't know what's being taught, you can't ever know what's being taught that might be wrong or unbiblical. And you really have to be vigilant on so many things, but you can learn more in Israel Wayne's book, Raising Them Up. Thank you so much, Israel, for being here. It was great to have you back. Thank you, Janet. Thank you for being with us. You're listening to Janet Meffer today. This archived broadcast of Janet Mefford Today is brought to you by a firm film, Show Me the Father. The creators of War Room and Courageous, the Kendrick brothers, explore fatherhood through five true stories. Show Me the Father, rated PG. Parental guidance suggested in theaters September 10th. This is Janet Mefford Today. And now, here's your host, Janet Mefford. I'll tell you what, on the subject of parenting, my hat is off to the parents in California who are rising up against these school districts employing these radicals. I've got a couple of stories to share with you. First, we'll go with the smaller one. This is a story about this California teacher. You might have seen this on the internet, but... This woman is a teacher in the Newport Mesa schools in Orange County, California. She went on the Internet. I don't know what is wrong with these people, but I'm thrilled that they do it because they just out themselves. She went on the Internet, specifically on TikTok, to talk about the fact that she had taken down the American flag from her classroom. But she did have a gay pride flag in her classroom and was encouraging the kids if they wanted to say the Pledge of Allegiance why don't you say it to the gay pride flag? And even though the TikTok video was taken down, we still have a copy of it. So listen to this. This is the original video from Kristen Pitskin. Cut one. Okay, so during third period, we have announcements and they do the Pledge of Allegiance. I always tell my class, stand if you feel like it. Don't stand if you feel like it. Say the words if you want. Don't have to say the words. So my class decided to stand but not say the words. Totally fine. Except for the fact that my room does not have a flag. It used to be there. But I took it down during COVID because it made me uncomfortable. And um, I packed it away and I don't know where. And I haven't found it yet. (laughs) But my kid today goes, hey, um, it's kind of weird that we just stand and then, you know, we say it to nothing. And I'm like, oh, well, you know, I got to find it. Like, I'm working on it. I got you. In the meantime, I tell this kid, we do have a flag in the class that you can pledge your allegiance to. And he like looks around and he goes, oh, that one? And she's pointing to the gay pride flag. Well, over the weekend, the Newport Mesa School District told Fox it had opened an investigation into the incident. She's now been removed from the classroom and placed on administrative leave as the investigation continues. And a group of district parents rallied outside her school to protest the video. Go parents, go parents, go parents. That's how it's done. Now, the bigger story 
because this is much more shocking, even though that was plenty shocking. I, For the life of me, I don't know how these people get jobs teaching. She sounds like a complete airhead, doesn't she? In addition to not understanding that everything you put on the internet is has the potential of being outed and, and gone viral to show everybody what you're doing in your classroom, and you think it's a big secret because you're whispering on the video, it's just unbelievable to me. Can you imagine what kind of teacher this is? She probably can't even add two plus two. At any rate, let's get to the bigger story. James O'Keefe, one of my heroes from Project Veritas, introduced a teacher from Sacramento to viewers. And this is just incredible. This guy is an Antifa activist, radical leftist. He's an AP government teacher in the Sacramento School District. And it's Natomas Unified School District. And this is just unbelievable. Now, you're going to have a little bit of strain to hear because they do these undercover videos. Somebody posing as a big fan of this guy is interviewing him in some restaurant. So you're going to hear a little bit of that background noise. But listen to this outing of Gabriel Guype. This is cut two. Meet Gabriel Guype. He's a public school teacher paid for by taxpayer dollars at Intercom High School in Sacramento, California. Guype, who teaches advanced placement government classes, is not shy about his involvement in Antifa's local chapter. He even has an Antifa flag and a poster of Mao Zedong in his classroom. So, um, you know, it's like my wife and I have been political organizers. I've been organizing since I was 13. Wow. And, and I've been in a ton of different organizations. Um, and I've, I've, you know, I've been on the front lines and I've taken a step back and gone back and forth. And, and my wife is in the same way. Um, is there a local Antifa or chapter? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, I mean, I've, the, the Sacramento organization that is under the banner of Antifa is, is very loosely organized, right? Um, and like, we, we have no official like member yeah, yeah, list, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, so like, yeah, when, when there is like right wing rallies and stuff, then we like, We'll create an opposition to that. Yeah. Um, so, and, and Sacramento, uh, you know, as as the city itself is, is incredibly diverse, but um, we're surrounded so by I, a bunch of right wing rednecks. Right wing rednecks surround Sacramento. Rednecks. Last I checked, California wasn't in the South. I thought redneck was a term generally used to insult people in the South. But I guess all it means now is that you're conservative and you love the United States of America. That just makes you a redneck. Whereas he's super cool. Now listen to the rest of this report on Gabriel Guype. This is cut three. If you look at these photos from Guype's classroom, you can see he has an Antifa flag as well as a poster of Mao Zedong, the Chinese dictator who is one of the most notoriously brutal leaders in history, responsible for the death of millions. Uh, I, I probably uh, as, as far left as you can go. <laughs> so like, um, I've gone down those deep dark rabbit holes where like the idea of like adventurism and just being like, why aren't people just like taking up arms? Like why? Are, and you know, we have historical take, take taking up arms like yeah. against the state. Like, it, and we have historical examples of that happening and them getting crushed and being martyrs for a cause. And it's like. Okay, well, it's it's slow going because it takes massive amounts of organization. Guype's radical philosophy is prominent in the teaching in his own classroom. Guype goes on to say he's not the only teacher at Intercom High School who shares his radical beliefs. 
Oh, yeah, because a lot of a lot of senior parents at this point have backed off, yeah, right? Yeah. So they're just kind of like, well, you can fend for yourself. You know, I know um, other people in my department who teach like tenth graders who have had like parent meetings, like some you know a student who complained about like a pride flag and something they felt uncomfortable. I've had students, you know, during anonymous surveys at the end of the year, comment about the things that I have in my classroom. Like I, I have an Antifa flag on my on my wall, um, and a student complained about that, and he said it made him feel uncomfortable. And I had, I addressed it to every because I didn't know who it was and I was like well this is meant to make fascists feel uncomfortable so if you feel uncomfortable I, I don't really know what to tell you <laughs> like maybe you shouldn't be aligning with the, the values that it, this is antithetical to all right it, what do you even say to this he's asking why aren't people just taking up arms why can't we take up arms against the state hey where's the FBI when you need them didn't they say this was what the January 6th protests were all about, all those Trump supporters? It was an insurrection. It was a riot. Meanwhile, you have this guy talking about taking 180 days to turn his students into revolutionaries. And when they asked, them, asked him, how do you do it? He said, I scare them, except he put in a huge vulgarity in the middle of that. I just scare them. This guy can teach in an American public school and nobody says a word. I guess some source from inside the school went to Project Veritas. That that in and of itself, I think, is worth noting because we have a media that is so far left by and large. Ninety eight, ninety nine percent of media is so far left and so unwilling to do the work of actual journalism that people are going to Project Veritas and praise the Lord for them. Praise the Lord for them. Because I'm sure if they went to the Sacramento Bee or the Sacramento local TV stations, they wouldn't have gotten the same response. Uh, Maybe there's some good reporters there who actually would have done it. But I'm going to be a little bit skeptical that they would have done what Project Veritas did, which was to get this guy on the record spouting all his leftist radicalism and talking about turning kids into revolutionaries. And the question for me is, how is it that this guy, he not only had an Antifa flag on his wall and he not only had a picture of Mao Zedong, he also had a gay pride flag. He mentioned that in the audio, if you were listening closely to that. O'Keefe didn't mention it in the description, but if you watch that video, you can see all of it's there. Just like the other chick in Orange County, I got a gay pride flag. Why do you have gay pride flags in your classrooms? It's completely inappropriate. Tell me what is more political in this day and age than a gay pride flag. Get the thing out of there. Not everybody agrees with that. And what in the world is happening in the schools? Because you also heard him mention the fact that three other teachers in that same school district, I assume in the same school, are just as radical as he is. Are we really to assume that nobody on the staff or on the administrative staff of that school ever walked into that classroom and saw that Antifa flag and the Mao Zedong picture? They think that's just hilarious. How many of those kids went home and said to their moms and dads, oh, we're learning about how to take up arms against the state. It's unbelievable. And you know what? The parents, when they found out about this, were glorious. And I'm going to play for you some of what they had to say to the school board this week. Stay with us. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. Ask yourself, what do you pay for health care? Are you single? Do you pay more than $199 a month? Are you a couple? Do you pay more than $299 a month? Do you have a family? Do you pay more than $399 a month? 
Yes, you can serve the entire family with health care for only $399 a month with Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit ministry, not insurance. So your money goes toward helping other members with their eligible medical expenses. And in your time of need, other members are there for you too. You can feel good knowing you're part of a community of like-minded individuals. Sign up at any time of the year. Pick your own doctor and hospital. Find out more at libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. That's libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. Or call now, 855-565-2561. That's 855-565-2561 or libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. This is Janet Mafford for Bible League International. Jaime is an itinerant pastor in Ecuador. In Latin America, there, there are violence. Pastors and Christian workers uh, face with attackers, thieves, gangs. So that's the, that's the problem. Jaime will travel days by foot, boat, and mule. He's been beaten by warlocks, robbed, and suffered broken bones after falling in the Andes Mountains. What awaits him at the end of each trip? A thriving congregation of hundreds of believers in an area where Christianity is fiercely opposed. When I share Jaime's story, I recall Isaiah 6, 8. Whom shall I send? Who will go? I believe this man is enduring more than some pastors ever will. And like others in the world where Bibles are desperately needed, Jaime is humbly asking us to send God's word. For only $5, you can send a Bible to Latin America and around the world, and a special match will double your gift. Call 800-YES-WORD, 800-YES-WORD, or there's a Bible League banner at JanetMefford.com. You're listening to Janet Mefford today, and now, here's Janet. Well, the good news is you have two teachers in California who basically are on the ropes because they were radicals in the classroom. And one was dumb enough to film herself saying that she was having kids in her classroom, uh, say, Pledge of Allegiance to the Gay Pride flag. She suggested it to them. I don't know if they actually went through with it because she took the American flag down and she was dumb enough to make a TikTok video of all this. Now she's been placed on administrative leave. They're doing an investigation in Orange County. Worse, you have Project Veritas having done this uh, story on Gabriel Guype. They did an undercover, wonderful undercover video exposing this Antifa activist who's been teaching advanced placement government class at this school in Sacramento and I really cannot overstate how important it is that we have alternative media, folks, because you think CNN would have ever done this story? I was commenting on the fact that I would have no faith in the local Sacramento media to do it. And these guys are kicked off Twitter. The the reason it was going viral is because other people were posting Project Veritas's work on Twitter. Look at how hard we have to work just to get the truth out because you have so many people who are trying to suppress the truth. They don't want these people kicked out of their classrooms. And boy, has the Lord been on our side in watching all of this come to the surface. I'm so happy to play a little bit of this audio from this uh, night, what well, was night before last, at the school board meeting at Natomas Unified School District where Gabriel Guype was employed. Uh, the school district now says it's taking steps to fire him. They placed him on paid leave and he's out on the internet whining about it. You know, go back to Portland, buddy. At any rate, I got to play some of this audio for you of parents in Guype's district weighing in at the school board meeting. First, listen to this, Mom. This is cut four. I speak for my son and any child who doesn't have a parent to be their voice. What has been exposed about Gabriel Guype by Project Veritas is exactly what I was concerned about happening at Babcock Elementary, Twin Rivers Unified School District, whom was and is not allowing parents or guardians on campus. 
As educators, your job is academics, not morals, not values, religion, political ideology, or anything outside of academics. We have 24 Sacramento students who are abandoned in Afghanistan. You guys are sitting here saying you have somebody preaching communism on paid leave? Do those lives mean nothing to you? What will you say to those children's peers who are asking, where are my friends? When are they coming home? And you stand by this man preaching Antifa and communism in our classrooms. A disgrace. She's right. It is a disgrace. Now, I would not agree with her on the facts that the schools are not to teach any values. Of course, you teach values, whether you mean to or not. I think what she was getting at is you're not supposed to be activists. You're not supposed to be political activists in the classroom. You're supposed to teach the subject matter. On that, I would agree, but it shows you that you can never really escape values, can you? You can't. I see this a lot. I see this a lot in our local area where you have these young teachers coming in. And I hate to say this because I know there are wonderful teachers out there who are very bright and very dedicated to their students in the public schools. A lot of Christian teachers in the public schools who are doing their very best to actually give the kids an education. But there are a lot of these younger teachers coming in who are not that bright, not that well-educated, and they come in and they think that's the place where they can start engaging in their leftist activism. And and we get reports, kids I know in the area, talking about, I saw my teacher's Facebook page, I saw my teacher's TikTok, total BLM person, totally into Antifa, totally into all the critical race theory garbage. You know, there, there ought to be a vetting of these teachers on their social media before they even get jobs. That's maybe one of the other things that needs to be addressed. Now, I want to go back to this same mom continuing on her rage about Gabriel Guype. This is Cut 5. Any teacher or staff pushing anti-American, hateful, or political agendas against America on our students, families, or communities, we want you out. Now. Not paid leave and not in a week or two. Now. That's right. <laughs> Sacramento is not a city that raises our children on hate, racism, or a victim mentality. We raise our children to be strong, independent, and to stand up for what's right, and to speak up when it is time to speak up, like now. God rest our troops who we have lost in Afghanistan. God bless our citizens and allies still trapped in Afghanistan. We are praying for your safety and protection, and may God be with us all. Crazy stuff. Now, another parent, there are many, many parents. There's so much good audio. You should watch the whole thing for yourself if you've got the opportunity. But another parent by the name of Richard Gilbert weighed in, and I thought his comments were very, very good. This is Cut 6. Some of my best experiences in high school were discussing current events and social issues in my classes. But not once, not once did I ever know how my teacher felt about those things. I had my suspicions, everyone's human, but I never knew if he was a Republican or Democrat or she, if she was conservative or liberal. I didn't know. And that's the type of discussion I expect in our social studies classes in this district. I've heard, like everyone, anecdotes around the country of left-wing indoctrination in schools. And people would always tell me, oh, that's just, that's just an isolated incident. Don't worry about it. Well, it's hit home for me now. and. Um, I'd like to say that I'm glad the board has taken this action to start the process to fire this individual. I know it's not something that can be done overnight, but this does not begin and end with him. He was enabled for years. Complaints were filed and nothing was done. And 
People bear responsibility for that, whether it's the principals, whether it's administration, whoever. And I ask for a full investigation to root this out, not just from Intercom High School, but from this district. I will not stand by and allow my rights as a parent to be trampled. I have to be here today. And I, this is not limited, just for your information, it is not limited to Intercom High School. With absolutely no warning, my daughter, who's a junior at MP3 High School, was told that her constitutional law class this year would be changed to social justice. No, no parent input was given whatsoever. I contacted the teacher. I was assured that critical race theory would not be taught. I was told that my, my okay, I'll wrap it up, thank you, that this would not be an, an issue, but it has become one. And I just would like to end by saying this young woman tonight took an oath to defend the Constitution and to rid this country of enemies foreign and domestic. I ask that all of you do the same. Well said. That really resonated with me because I recall I grew up in a school district in the Chicago area and everybody was liberal. Everybody was liberal. I was a raging conservative, but everybody was liberal around me. And I had several teachers whom I thought were probably pretty liberal. And yet I never could pinpoint where anybody truly stood. I had a math teacher who was very, um, I would say, very open about being a Christian. So I knew where he stood. But generally speaking, you had a professionalism in the classroom where they didn't tell you where they stood personally because it didn't matter, did it? They didn't see education as activism. They saw education as education. And sometimes I would get into it. For example, I had an economics teacher who liked to go around with me and argue about uh, the GOP versus the Democrats. And we had a grand old time. I mean, back in those days, not that long ago, you could have political conversations with teachers who disagreed with you and they wouldn't punish you over your beliefs. Not so much now. And I'll tell you what, It even happens in Christian schools. I was thinking about this as I was listening to some of this audio. My daughter, uh, being in a Christian school years ago, I remember had an assignment from a teacher who said you have to write about white supremacy and how white supremacy is harming the world, et cetera, et cetera. And my daughter did not do the assignment as told. She came to a different conclusion and said there is racism across races. And the teacher was threatening to flunk her. This isn't a Christian school. This isn't a Christian school. And it turned out that this teacher was woke in a Christian school. So no matter where you are, unless you're homeschooling, You have to stay on top of what your kids are learning. It's not just the curriculum, it's the teachers. I would suggest, this is what I say about everybody in general, but particularly about the teachers. You need to know who the teachers are and you need to be on top of their social media because their social media in most cases will reveal everything you need to know about them. And you need to have your child on high alert and told if anything comes up about being woke or social justice or BLM or Antifa or intersectionality or gay pride, you are to report back to me immediately. And you need to have those conversations with your kids because I recognize not every Christian parent can be in a position where they can homeschool for various reasons. Sometimes Christian parents have kids in public schools or in private Christian schools. You got to be alert no matter where your kids are. And I am just delighted to see that so many parents are now waking up. Who are truly the woke now? It looks like the Christian parents, the conservative parents, the America loving parents are waking up. And they're waking up to the fact that our country is being subverted in too many cases inside our kids' classrooms, and we need to be hyper-involved. And I think everybody, by the way, 
in that Natomas Unified School District who knew about that Gabriel Guype guy needs to be fired. Get rid of the school board, get rid of the principal, get rid of the administration, get rid of anybody who knew. Clean house and start over. This hour, Janet Mefford today is brought to you by a firm film, Show Me the Father from the Kendrick Brothers, the creators of War Room and Courageous Explore Fatherhood through five true stories. Show Me the Father, rated PG, parental guidance suggested in theaters, September 10th. God bless you. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time.